All right. Hi, guys. How are you doing? Thanks for being here today. Um, thanks for worshiping with us. Just love lifting up Jesus' name. Yes. Um, you know, in the midst of all the stuff we got going on, in the midst of what the world is doing, yeah. and again, I'm under the conviction of this too, it's easy to get distracted, it's easy to get angry, it's easy to get hateful, or even divisive, or antagonistic, or hostile. That's not who we're called to be. We just got to always kind of remind ourselves of that. And when we fall to the flesh, just put ourselves back in check and put our eyes back on Jesus. And remember that we are not called to have a worldly mindset. I'm not going into the preach yet right now, but just as I was reading this week, um, one thing that kind of came up is just, um, and again, it's that worldly mindset. I think we talked last week about, you know, politics and should Christians be involved in politics. And, and it's okay. There's one statement that says, um, harmless as a dove and wise as a serpent. We should be aware of what's going on in our surroundings and things of that nature. But again, it goes back to that harmless as a dove, remembering always, and I know I've said this ad nauseum, but remembering that our enemies are not flesh and blood. You know? So any striking out, and of course we can get emotional about some of the subjects that are out there, any striking out that we would be encouraged to do in the flesh is going to be a striking out against a human person. And the Bible clearly tells us that our enemies are not flesh and blood. So any striking out we do, and this hurts me to even say this because you know who I am and how I am. That would be the easiest, most humanly, fleshly, viable thing to do is just strike out physically against a person. That makes it so much more simple. But the reality is the enemy would relish in that because that's not displaying the love of Christ into a lost and dying world and points to hypocrisy and we would be perfectly used as a perfect example. I mean, I could clearly see the enemy tempting you and tempting you and tempting you and me and us to get angry and then be violent and then being the very same one that turns around and becomes the accuser. I think there's a Christian rap song that says like that. He's your tempter, 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 and then he's your accuser immediately. And that's how that... That fish on that worm on that hook looks just like that. So let us not be pulled into that. And we're called to have a a, a spiritually minded um, mentality, not be consumed with worldly things. Again, I'm not saying don't watch the news, but be aware that that can be a trap to bring us into having a worldly mindset that takes us off the things of the spirit. Uh, some things that I do want to announce, not super happy things. Um, I just want to pray real quick for Brett Blake. Um, his wife did pass away last weekend. Um, she had had cancer, then had chemo, and this is months and months and months ago, and then it had done some damage to her heart, and she was having problems processing oxygen and having problems breathing. And then it kind of, we prayed, they prayed, everybody prayed. The doctor said she's probably going to pass away pretty soon, and uh, she was healed, you know, to our mind's eye. I mean, she was doing great walking around, sleeping well, all that good stuff. And then it was just uh, last weekend she went into the ER and then not long after that had passed away. The good news is she loves Jesus and is with him right now. You know? And I can tell you that talking to Brett, I said, how are you doing? You know, and he said, you know, as this was building and even as you think about your life and, and you what if things, what if this happened? What if, what if I lost my wife? You know, what would I be like we have these terrible ideas of what we would be like 
you know, and, um, and he mentioned that. He goes, I always thought I would be much worse than I am now. Of course, he's not happy. Of course, he's sad. Uh, of course, he misses her. Um, but he also is very aware of the fact that she, was with, that she is with Jesus right now. And that brings him a, a level of comfort that I'm like, well, wow, that's encouraging to know, you know. We talk all, about, all the time about we are born again. We are destined to pick up the righteousness, the righteousness of Christ. And for me, a little bit, I go, am I really not afraid of death? I feel like I'm not. Like back in the day, I remember being a kid unsaved, and death was a terrifying prospect. And I know that now for me it's not. Um, but is that true? Is it really? Am I really <laughs> feel like that? But to have her, as she was on her deathbed, saying to her husband, i just been praying, Jesus, take me home. I can't wait. I can't wait. I'm looking forward to it. She was there experiencing it. What a freedom that we have in Jesus. I mean, death should be the most terrifying thing in the world. But for us that know Jesus, that are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, we can stand in the confidence of the knowledge that we are destined for eternity with Christ. So let's just pray real quick. Father God, we don't even have to lift up Elisa to you anymore. You got her. She's living that joy with you right now. We are thankful to you for that. We do want to lift up Brett and his family and Elisa's family that are left behind here. That you would just ease. As you put that upon Brett, I know he says that and he, I believe he feels that. But we know there's probably times at the middle of the night. Lord, that he thinks and falls apart or loses it a little bit. Lord, just let your presence be upon him so much so that he just feels peace and comfort and knows beyond any doubt that you have him in, in your hands. And let that peace and that grace and that confidence and that strength and that steadfastness just example you well and, and impact the rest of his family and, and her family too. As they wrestle with this, Lord, let them just know your peace, your comfort, and your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, did I have anything else? Nope, I think that's it. All right, so today we're going to um, uh, conduct communion. Again, I just uh, really don't want it to be ritualistic. I know we do it on the first Sunday of every month. But that's really just for us, so we have a schedule when we don't just get lost and start doing other things. I want it to be important and critical, critical and it should be an important, critical part of this church uh, that we acknowledge and we remember and we, and we walk in submission to what God has called us to do. You know, Jesus told us to do this. Do this in remembrance of me. I just want to be in obedience to that. Um, so what is the message? Really kind of as I was reading uh, and just thinking, what would the message, because there's always a message around communion anyway, it's always the gospel message, and communion is all about the gospel, so it's easy in that light, but I really kind of wanted to focus on, we talk about the history of the Israelites and the, and the uh, covenant relationship that God had established with his people. We can look at so many examples and again, I love watching the Israelites, and I remember being a younger Christian, and I would read their stories and be like, these guys are idiots. 
These guys are fools. They just saw his miracles. Now they're turning his, they just saw his, practically saw his face and saw the mountain and the thunder and all this stuff. And they're already turning around and building golden calves and all this stuff. These guys are idiots until the reality came later on. And a little bit of maturity is that they're the perfect example of my wrestle in the flesh with walking in submission to the will of God. Always, all the time. What did they constantly need? Remembrance. Remembrance, remembrance. So I'm like, how is it that we have kept this covenant with God? Well, here's what I've learned. <laughs> here's how we've kept the covenant with God. First of all, I start, what is a covenant? A covenant is agreement with two parties. And you can read different places and have different, like, subtle differences in the description. But the basics is a covenant is an agreement between two parties. There's kind of two definite types of covenants that we see biblically. One of them would be a conditional and the other would be an unconditional covenant. <clears throat> I'm going to start, I, I, originally I'd written it down having the conditional be first, but we're going to go with the unconditional. And this is how we've maintained our covenant with God. We did not ever at all, but it was always God that maintained his covenant with us. Most of the covenants that you see that God creates or establishes with his people or unconditional putting all of the onus of the conduct of the covenant on God himself and none of it on his people. The first one I'm going to talk about here is the Abrahamic uh, covenant. It's in Genesis chapter 12 verses 1 through, th one through 3. The call of Abraham. The Lord said to Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's household. To the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you, which is awesome because that covenant relationship doesn't even just apply to the to the Jews. It is destined to apply to all of the earth. And we know this as we read through Revelation, the end, the millennium, uh, the millennial kingdom, when Jesus come and, comes and reestablishes his reign and his rule over the entire earth. <clears throat> and that covenantal relationship was never let go. And there are times when the Israelites turned their backs on that covenantal relationship, for sure. There are times when the Israelites had to be practically destroyed, but what does God always do? He always leaves a remnant and then he builds that remnant back up. That remnant turns back to him. And he does what? He reestablishes it. Reconfirms re and reaffirms the already established covenant that he had with his people. He never lets go of his people. And we'll, you'll hear this, especially people will bring this up to you. And so you know, God never let go of that established covenant with his people. Even when they rejected him. Even when they turned their back on him. Were there times when he had to slap his people down and make corrections? Absolutely. But he always left a remnant and he always brought him back to the point that they went into exile. To the, to the temple was destroyed and they went to be slaves and servants in a far off land. He still left a remnant. Not only did he leave a remnant in Jerusalem, but he brought the remnant back from Babylon and reestablished his covenant relationship with his people again and again and again. Another one I want to talk about is the Davidic covenant relationship 2 Samuel chapter 7 verses 12 through 16 
God's promise to David, when your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed, succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands. But my love, love will never be taken away from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. You, your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Now the first thing I read on that is going, are you telling me that Jesus got flogged and did wrong? No. What I realized there is, if you look at the line of David and the Davidic kings, a whole lot of them did bad, bad things and had to be destroyed, killed, flogged, beaten, corrected in many, many ways. And a whole lot of them did good in the sight of God. You know, um, so what he was established there, establishing there is that the, the Davidic line would go on forever. Where does it end up? It ends up with Jesus. And again, he will be the one of the Davidic line, of the Abrahamic line, that ends up ruling and reigning forever and ever over this world and over a heaven, heaven above. Boy, I can't wait. I cannot wait. He will be established forever. So that means, again, we look at it and we see the human, human nature rejecting God, fighting back, being rebellious against God, against his plans, against his covenant. Yet, and even in the midst of God creating corrections and having to make sure that have, have David's um, ancestors, or not ancestors, but line beaten with rods and things of that nature, he never lets it go of the covenant, even when humans do. And this rolls all into what? The new covenant. Before I get into the new covenant, covenant, I just want to talk real quick about the one conditional covenant that God does lay out there, and it's the law. It's the Old Testament covenant. It's the Mosaic. This is probably the one you'll hear most often discussed. <clears throat> I kind of lost myself here. Give me one second. Blessings, and odd, uh, blessings for obedience and curses for disobedience is what's promised through the, uh, their Mosaic law, the Mosaic covenant. The covenant is established through Deuteronomy chapter 28. It's pretty long. I just want to give you that reference point so you can start there. And it will list out all the blessings for all the obediences, all the curses for all the disobediences. This is a, a conditional requirement that God, and again, there's other, in the other uh, covenants, what I've noticed is there are things on the people within the covenant that are required for us to really reap the benefits to the most of what the covenants of God's promising. God's saying, I'm going to make you a great nation. Follow me, obey me, be my people. And you have the opportunity to follow and obey, be his people or not. And that just really has a determination on what your experiences under the covering of God's covenant is going to be like. But it doesn't change God's covenant with his people forever. Does that make sense? But here in the law, God's clearly telling you, if you obey me in these things, I'm going to bless you with these things. If you disobey me in these things, I'm going to curse you with these things. And what do we see historically? What we see is the people are unable to follow the letter of the law 
And they do walk in his blessings, but they all walk in the cursings of the law too. What was the hard part about the, 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 the weakest part of the Mosaic covenant? It was the flesh. It was the inability of humankind in our sin-sick nature to fully follow the laws of God. Because what is the requirement of God? Perfection. And we are infallible and imperfect creatures. But he doesn't leave it there. And that's what I just love about this God that we serve. And that's why I want to roll from there into the new covenant. Just going to hit on Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 real quick. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I think that phrasing I'd read a long time ago kind of keeps ringing in my ears when I, when I think of the law as it applies to the new covenant. Sin against an eternal God requires eternal sacrifice. We're mortal creatures. Outside of having an eternal sacrifice, that requires us to sacrifice in hell eternally for the sin that we had conducted against an eternal God. Yet if when in the fulfillment of the law, and I love it because God, we are on plan A. I think you had started to mention it today. That God knew this or foretold this and was aware of this and and. That whole, this is still plan A. God is not surprised by any of this. Why was the law established? Because to show us how far separated we are from perfection. How badly we need an eternal sacrifice to atone for sin against an eternal God so that we can be presented as though we had never sinned. We will pick up the righteousness of Christ and walk in perfection with Jesus because there was no other way for it to be done by design. Again, I don't believe God was surprised by any of this. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31. Behold, the days are coming, coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Again, pointing to the fact that God had plan A when he was mentioning the new covenant all the way back in Jeremiah. John chapter 1, verse 29. The next day he saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I don't want to take advantage of the grace of God. And I don't want us to be a people that get to that place where we sing grace is enough, His grace is sufficient for me to walk this life out any way I please. We're always, and it's not a very thin line. I think it's a wide line, but it's still in our humanity. It can be easy for us to be dissuaded or even to rationalize ourselves into taking advantage of God's goodness and His grace. So as we go into communion, I think it's clearly important not only that we remember the critical value, like Steve said earlier. He sings Jesus save and it seems understatement. Okay, let's take this moment to overstate it. Can we possibly overstate it? I don't think so. So let's remember the miracle that took place to bring us from death to life. And then let's also bring to God and say, look, Lord, I know your grace is enough. 
I know his grace is enough. But where am I taking the opportunity? Mary, I'm rationalizing something in my life that I kind of just have parked into the side and don't want to put before you and I'll just assume that you're going to forgive it. You're probably right. He's probably going to forgive it. But remember, the things that lead to death are, are continual unrepentant sin. So whatever that sin is, if it's unrepentant, it could be a problem, a big problem. And even if it is repentant, then we should have a desire to be convicted, to seek repentance, and then be set free from it. So that we can be on that process of becoming more and more like Jesus every day. And the reason that we're able to do that is because of his grace. And his grace is enough to atone for those things so we can stand up and carry on with the path that he has laid before us as we walk this life out in submission to Jesus Christ. Yeah? Why don't we get ready for uh, communion right now then? I probably should have given you the nod a little bit earlier, but we'll just get in prayer right now. Father God, thank you for this opportunity to have a physical manifestation of your grace and your wonderfulness, of your commitment that you've made to us. It's kind of like tithing. You know, Lord, we know that you don't need to be reminded. And you know the weakness of our flesh. And you know that sometimes we have to have a physical something in front of us to really be able to wrap our minds around who you are. We don't want those things to be ritualistic. We want them to have eternal value. We've called us to tithe. Let us tithe with joy and happiness. Let us have an expectation of eternal value in the freedom that we find when we let go of those things. Lord, as we take this moment to remember you, with the physical manifestation of the bread and the wine as we contemplate your body broken for us. As we contemplate your blood poured out for us. The only pure and the one final sacrifice that fulfills the law in its entirety. We thank you for the law that is such a shining example and really demonstrates to us how separated we are from your perfection and how impossible it is for us to save ourselves. Though we were once dead in our sin, and while we were yet still sinners, Jesus, in his obedience to God's will, took our sins to the cross. Jesus saves. He is our Savior. He is the only one. He is the way and the truth and the life. And none shall go to the Father except through him. Except through Jesus Christ. The enemy loves to blur those lines 
and allow people to believe that there might be another way, any other way. A wise man becomes a fool when he says there is no God. And we stand in awe, amazed when we see the, the crazy things that people will put themselves through as they try to earn their way into heaven through another route. Lashing themselves or starving themselves or putting themselves through all kinds of other exercises and futility. Yet you, Jesus Christ, you're the hardest way, yet the easiest way. Trust and believe in you, Jesus Christ. We come to you, we trust you, we believe you, and we walk in the knowledge that we are saved because of the finished work of the cross. How simple and how easy it is. Yet at the same time, in our sin-sick humanity, it's like the hardest thing in the world to do, to walk in submission Less of me and more of you. Thank you, Lord, for breaking us through that barrier and in the peace that comes through you, Father God. Miracle worker, chain breaker. Help us to remember you in all things, Father God. We bring our wretchedness before you, Father God. Search our hearts. Search our hearts. said to the Corinthians, for I received from the Lord what I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The body of Jesus. same way after supper he took the cup saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes the blood of Christ Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you called us to you. Thank you, Lord, that you didn't grab our grasping hand and help us out of our death. That you dove to the bottom of the ocean. Lifted our dead corpses out of the bottom of the ocean. And brought us miraculously from death to life. In defiance 
of the natural order and the laws of nature because you are fully God, the creator of heaven and earth. And yet you still know our name and you've still placed a path before us. We remember you, Father God. And we repent of all the times we have forgotten you or been distracted or had moments when we lashed out and had to remind ourselves to come back to you. Father God, we just want to people, be a people that walks out always aware of your presence. Always aware of your presence. Holy Spirit, guide our lives. Lord, help us to have the courage and the strength to not grieve the Holy Spirit, but to be receptive and responsive all the time. We don't look with contempt or condemnation as at the, as the, at the Israelites. We look and go, I'm just as susceptible to that. To following my own gods or trying to find my own path. I'm just as susceptible yeah. to forgetting who you are. Yeah. And being distracted by the nations around me. You are our King, Father God. You are our Creator. You are our Savior. We declare it now. Let it resonate within us throughout the month, throughout the year, throughout the rest of our lives, Father God. And thank you that you know us so well that you've told us to do this in remembrance of you because you knew that we would forget that you knew we would be distracted. And yet you still love us. For your grace is enough. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Let's just lift up his name. Thank you, Jesus. You are worthy, Lord. You are worthy, Lord.